Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby here with a recap of some of our No Rest for the Fest coverage of the Tribeca Film Festival. Today we'll take you to the red carpet for the premiere of the new psychological horror feature Somewhere Quiet and later we'll sit down with the director of the new documentary Chasing Chasing Amy and take you to the red carpet for that premiere. But first we got some bills to pay with some lovely ad reads from our very own Emmeline Pryor. No Rest for the Weekend's coverage of the Tribeca Film Festival is sponsored by New York Women in Film and Television. NYWIFT congratulates its 15 members with films at Tribeca 2023. NYWIFT.org. Black Magic Design. The world's highest quality products for the feature film, post and broadcast industries. Blackmagicdesign.com. JMR Rentals. Professional, digital, cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com and by the Tonkawa Film Festival, celebrating short films from around the world. Submissions are open and now use the promo code NRFTW to receive 50% off your first submission. Submit today. Visit TonkawaFilmFestival.com. The 2023 Tribeca Film Festival kicked off on June 7th, despite New York City being covered in a cloud of Canadian wildfire smoke, giving the city the worst air quality in the country. The festival began with a pre-reception honoring Robert De Niro, where he was given the key to the city by New York City's mayor, Eric Adams. Following the ceremony, De Niro received a surprise speech from Martin Scorsese, congratulating him on his commitment to Tribeca, New York, and the festival. The reception was followed by the opening night screening of Kiss the Future, the highly anticipated documentary featuring U2's journey to perform a long-promised concert for the people of Sarajevo. Producer Matt Damon attended the event, along with Brendan Fraser, Jennifer Esposito, Adam Goldberg, and Tribeca Film Festival co-founder Jane Rosenthal. On June 8th, Somewhere Quiet premiered at the festival, where we spoke with director Olivia West-Lloyd and actors Marin Ireland and Jennifer Kim on the red carpet. First of all, how does it feel to be at Tribeca with this film? It feels amazing. It's a, it's a real honor to be here with with so many uh, filmmakers that I respect and whose work I admire, and, and and we're so delighted to be able to premiere to a New York audience. Can you tell us a little bit about the film, what happens in it, etc.? The film is somewhere quiet, um, and it imagines what might happen to a final girl after sort of the end of a horror movie. You know, she goes home, she washes the blood off of her, and sort of what happens next. I, I was really curious about. That experience, um, especially sort of, you know, after the news has moved on, after, you know, people have started to move back into their regular lives, how does this person re-enter the mundane after such a sort of extraordinary experience? Would you call this film a horror film? I would certainly call it a horror film. I, I, I think it's a different type of horror. You know, it's sort of a post-horror. It's, it's what happens after the horror film. But, you know, what we discover is that the horror hasn't really ended, but rather changed shape. It's become sort of uh, a horror that emerges from her own subconscious. There's so many like indie horror films out now. What would you say distinguishes this one from the rest? Well, I mean, you know, I'm a horror fan and I, and I think there's so much good out there to see right now. Um, I think, you know, if there's one thing, I would say it's the performances of our cast. I think they're really, really special, uh, really brilliant. And I, and I think that's really the reason to go see it. What makes a great horror movie, in your opinion? 
Oh man, I, you know, I, I think there's so many different ways to make a horror movie. I, I, you know, some of my favorite films are, are, are across the spectrum in, in terms of in terms of how they approach horror. Um, I, I think it's it's an overall sense of dread that really connects with me. You know, like a sort of moment to moment, this feeling that something is not right, something is wrong here, um, and I think that's what we try to imbue this film with. Do you have a feeling of what, how it might impact people? Are you just out to scare the pants off of people, or do you want to like move them? I, I hope to do a little bit of both. <laughs> and uh, talk to me about your lead actor and your, kind of your relationship with her. Yeah, Jennifer Kim uh, leads our, our little ensemble, and, and she's just spectacular. Um, we had a really wonderful collaboration through this project. Um, I, I think people are going to be really blown away by her performance. First of all, how does it feel red carpet Tribeca you know I live in New York so being in New York for a movie and for a film festival at Tribeca it's a dream you hear about it it's it's like uh, being in your hometown once you've lived here for a while it's the best New York is the best city on earth can you tell us about your character and kind of what drew you to the project in some ways I guess you could say I'm the villain of this movie uh, and I don't always get to play parts like this. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but I, I definitely feel like there's a lot of elements to this character that um, I got to sort of, there was a sort of a supernatural element to my character that was pretty fun to play around with. And, uh, and honestly, the people involved are the greatest, the best producers I've ever worked with. So it was hard to say no to. So a director mentioned this is kind of like the final girl after the horror movies. So are you a flashback character or are you happening to her now? I mean, without giving things away, I think that a lot of what, she, you know, what Olivia was working with here was sort of the... PTSD mindset and what that does once you've been through something difficult is that trauma repeats itself and trauma is a cycle and it's in sort of it's inside of ourselves. So my character brings out a lot of stuff that's buried deep inside of our final girl. And I think that my character, we see her through our final girl's eyes. So some of the stuff that I do or say may or may not be through a certain filter. Um, so that's sort of how I, I kind of, I bring out a lot of stuff, a lot of fear and paranoia. That's I, I sort of trigger stuff for her without using that, that word too lightly. How do you feel like this film will impact the audience? What are you, what are you going for? I think this movie is much more of a psychological thriller and I think it's a lot about you know we see a lot of movies that are where scary things happen to people but not a lot of movies about what happens afterwards and I think we're living in a time where we all feel like um, the sort of never-ending cycle I think of really scary stuff happening I mean we're in New York right now and we're it's hard to breathe right now and we're I know it's bringing up a lot of stuff for me about masks and scary stuff and I think to look at what trauma continues to do to us even after we've been through one scary thing and now it doesn't just go away when that moment's over and so I think that's something that I appreciate about what she's doing here is like inviting us in to think about that in a safe in a safe environment as it were. Horror always has a fan base. How do you feel like the fan base will embrace or this movie will it will it throw them for a loop? Well my hope would be that because it's so unique that because I think what people always want more than anything is to be surprised in some way and especially people who are fans of horror right that's like famously you want a jump scare and I think that the surprise of this movie and the way it sort of reinvents that genre in its own way I'm hoping that that's what that's what excites people about it and, and gives them a thrill Jennifer red carpet Tribeca you've arrived how does it feel it feels great to be here I mean it 
It's so nice to be able to celebrate with everybody that you've worked with for so long, that you loved and just had such an intense, beautiful time. Finally get to see it and be together and in a way that's not very, because this movie's pretty dark, so we can be in a light headspace is, is really special. Have you seen the movie yet? I have seen the movie, but I just saw it at home, like on my little laptop, like in pieces because it's really hard for me to watch myself but I loved everybody so much that I really wanted to see their work and so I I, I, I made myself watch it and it, very proud of Olivia and Marin and Kentucker Michael everyone is just amazing how do you think uh, it'll be seeing it with an audience what do you th how do you think the audience will react to it oh I, I'm actually not gonna watch it tonight <laughs> uh, Marin and I are gonna go to her place and just like you're chickening out we're chickening out um, but uh, I hope that everyone enjoys it. I think it'll be a, a good experience, hopefully, for people to watch in a theater. I, yeah, and I, maybe I'm second guessing not watching it now, but I think that's for the best. So I don't have like a, a breakdown. <laughs> Are you one of those actors that doesn't like to watch? It's, it's very difficult to watch, so. You know, we were talking earlier about the, the fan base for horror and this type of genre. What kind of effect do you feel it'll have? What kind of effect do you want it to have? I hope that it'll make people think because I feel like there's a, there's a, the horror genre, which is like, you know, the final girl, but this takes what happens to the final girl after the horror movie is done. And it asks that question, when, when did the girl goes home and is, has no safety net or comfortable person to pack, unpack everything that happened to her, like what could happen? And so I think that's pretty exciting. I don't know that that has been investigated as deeply as just in horror movies, it's it's a it's a it's the the second chapter that people don't people don't really analyze yet. So it's a little bit of a meditation on trauma and what happens after trauma. You went through this, and you you know you kind of I guess you start out traumatized for this one. What does that do to you as a performer, and and how do you like sort of do you shake it off at the end of the night? Are you one of those I'm going to be in character all the time people? Like how do you manage? Well, I. I do, you just do all the work and then you let it go when you get to set and like hope that all the foundation that you've built is there for you and available because I feel like you can you're you can get in the zone and like it can be very dark and very scary and the producers were very uh, supportive like if you need therapy if you need anything like we know this is really dark um, we want to be there for you and surprisingly I was able to jump in and out of it pretty easily I think that it, maybe it, my training <laughs> finally came to some use or and everyone was just so lovely so it was it wasn't too hard to go in and out of it but at the same time having watched the movie of course I'm like well maybe if I went full method and like went Jeremy Strong and like lived separately never talked to anyone like my performance would be much better like maybe I should have done that so that's kind of in the back of my mind but I don't know. Or maybe you'd need counseling, you know? <laughs> or maybe everyone would just hate me, so... What was the hardest thing for you to have to go through? Literally every scene in this movie is really difficult. Like, this was a shoot where before each scene I'd have a freak out being like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and then I would somehow do it. And so it just, it's a, I, I can't even believe that it happened. <laughs> so I, I can't pinpoint one exact scene, but just the whole... The whole process of getting into her headspace, fleshing out the history of all the trauma of her past, her childhood, like even before the kidnapping, like it's that in itself just 
really getting into the headspace was difficult. I read this memoir and um, of a, a woman who was kidnapped, and I literally read it in one sitting. I stood up and I brought the book and put it in my trash can outside my house because I was like, okay, I got what I needed from that. I do not want this in my house. Like, so just really coming to terms with the specificity of of the dark material. You had your own exorcism, it sounds like. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we've seen these like great performances in horror, films like Hereditary and Midsommar and stuff. Do you think that things like the Oscars and, and do you think they'll ever come around to genre acting? With award shows, it's like, it's, it's all kind of this whole train that's set up to get there, you know? And if you're not on that train from the start, it's just, you kind of know that there's no chance. So that that's not the goal for any of us making any art, because <laughs> then you'll just be really unhappy, I think. But I mean, hopefully at some point, it'll just be about the performance or the directing, or and it's not about the marketing and the all the promotion and how you spin things and like the story that like catches and like everyone jumps on board so of course now we're in the middle of the writer's strike where are you now in terms of like uh, next projects well i have a movie coming up called the kill room with uh uma thurman and samuel l jackson and so people can be looking out for that but other than that it's been pretty slow like right now <laughs> it's been pretty dead because of the strikes but uh for with the strike then everything's kind of tentative and like on hold for the summer, so hopefully something great will come. Turning now to a documentary that explores a fan's relationship with a movie. Director Sav Rogers first saw the Kevin Smith cult classic Chasing Amy at 12 years old. As a queer kid growing up in Kansas trying to find his true identity, he says the film saved his life. I sat down with the director the day before the film's premiere at Tribeca. I started making movies uh, all because I saw Chasing Amy at 12 years old. You know, I was a closeted queer trans kid in Kansas and, you know, growing up in the suburbs, I thought life was pretty boring. Um, and so movies were kind of my gateway to a more imagined life that uh, was really fulfilling. Um, Chasing Amy was the movie that, you know, made me feel seen, understood, um, and was a life raft when I really needed it. And, uh, poor circumstances uh, in, in my hometown. I, I started filmmaking because, you know, I, I just wanted to tell stories and I thought movies were going to be the best vehicle for that. And so eventually I went to film school at the University of Kansas. And, uh, you know, after my time at the University of Kansas, I started ideating on, okay, what well, was a movie that only I could make? And, you know, my very specific story uh, with Chasing Amy and its life-saving impact on my life, that was the movie that just completely shifted everything, you know, for me in terms of possibility models, in terms of um, a, a life that I could imagine more fully. Um, and again, a life-saving impact when I was having a hard time dealing with a lot of the homophobia that I grew up with. Chasing Chasing Amy really started um, you know, with a lot of audacity. <laughs> um, I had no connections to anybody who made Chasing Amy when I was you know, younger uh, or when I started the project. But you know, I, I was thinking about what does a movie look like that really explores you know, the LGBTQ community's relationship to Chasing Amy. What does that really look like? What does that mean? Out of nowhere, I got a Facebook ad for this thing called the TED Residency, which I ignored several times, but then ended up applying on the day of the deadline. The TED Residency is a program that was a three-month idea incubator where I would do research on a project for three months and then give a TED Talk. After I applied, you know, I didn't expect to ever hear back, um, but it turns out I was a finalist. 
they asked me to pitch my idea for a TED Talk during a great interview that process that we had, and I just told them about my idea for a documentary about chasing Amy. They responded in the best way, which is that it's the most narrow, specific idea for a TED Talk we've ever heard. We'll let you know in two weeks. Three days later, I found out that I got it, and then a couple months later, I moved to New York, left Kansas, really, for the first time in my life, you know, living somewhere else. I participated in the program. I gave the TED Talk, and the TED Talk was able to kind of get the attention of a lot of people, including, you know, people who were willing to introduce me to Joey, but then also Kevin, because when the TED Talk came out, enough people had sent it to him within an hour of it being online that he just immediately responded and kind of the rest was history. Chasing Amy is basically a rom-com written and directed by Kevin Smith, starring Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams. The premise of the movie is that a straight man falls in love with a self-identified lesbian, and the movie really covers their ensuing romantic friendship, relationship, and ultimately how they fall apart. It is a super honest film that really resonated with me as a kid. I think Chasing Amy has a really nuanced reputation. Some of it is controversial. Some of it is considered to be like a very honest movie about love and relationships. There's a lot to explore there, which is why I was interested in making the documentary in the first place. I thought that that was going to be a really compelling narrative to be able to explore, you know, one community's relationship to uh, a specific film and then to be able to explore what does good representation look like? What does bad representation look like? That's not the movie that we ended up making. Uh, we ended up making a much more personal film about my relationship to Chasing Amy because I had the good sense to listen to the brilliant collaborators I had around me, including our producers, Alex, Carrie, Matthew, Leela. Um, and we had amazing, you know, just people talking uh, talking me through the process and the whole, the whole way so that I could make the most authentic version of this film. You know, because my specific relationship to Chasing Amy and how it saved my life as a kid, you know, that was the, that was the hook for the TED Talk. And, you know, it's kind of this, the place that we started at for the documentary. A lot of people don't consider it to be a queer film. You know, I, I don't really know if you can call it a queer film. Some people do, some people don't. Some people, you know, who are LGBTQ get a lot out of the movie and some don't. There are also straight people and cisgender people who don't get uh, a lot out of the movie. It's a very complicated movie, but at the end of the day, like there was something about my story that and and my relationship to it that I, I wanted to explore in the process of the documentary and uh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm happy with where it ended up. You can ask any single person who worked on Chasing Chasing Amy. I did not want to be the primary participant in it. And it was a super vulnerable place for me to go to. But then I also had to kind of weigh, you know, with my director brain versus the, the person that I am. Like, okay, how much, how much do I want to reveal? How much do I want to talk about myself? How, you know, d does this feel self-aggrandizing in any way? And, and so that was a, a constant balancing act for me as, you know, the filmmaker, but also as, a, as the primary participant in it. Because, you know, I, I didn't set out to be in the movie. I set out to tell a very specific story. But like I say in the movie, you know, the, it's not the movie I set out to make, but it's the movie that we have. And so undoubtedly the toughest part for me was watching cuts of the movie. Because again, it's a vulnerable position to be in when you are the director um, and you're also the participant who didn't sign up to necessarily be the participant. And so, you know, I transition in the film. I come out as a trans guy. And for that, you know, it was very hard for me to watch uh, a version of myself that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to preserve on film, right? <laughs> like, that, that was really challenging. And so it's a vulnerable space to be in. And, you know, it was pretty emotionally draining, you know, to, to, to watch myself come of age over and over and over again 
as we're editing the movie. My producer, uh, Alex Schmitter, always says that, you know, growing pains hurt. <laughs> and this was a pretty continuous growing pain all throughout the post-production process. Now that we're on the other side of it and starting to talk about, you know, the finished film, I'm now thinking about what does it look like, you know, for a kid in my position to see a movie like this, you know? And I, and I sincerely hope that it has the positive impact that Chasing Amy had on me. That would be the most affirming thing for me as a, as a storyteller, mm-hmm. the idea that somebody got something out of it the way that I got something out of Chasing Amy. That would just mean the world to me. Getting into Tribeca was incredible. <laughs> um, you know, I could get emotional thinking about it. You work so long and so hard on a project, and you're working with a ton of people, right, who've all put their guts into this, you know, to, to, help, to help me, right? And to get that email saying, hey, you're in, we loved your movie, uh, just meant everything to me because it's, you know, four and a half years at the time, like four years of just working on it and working on it and working on it and trying to make sure that it's the best version of the story that we could put out there. Endless revisions, endless cuts, you know, a lot of late nights, a lot of long shoot days. And the idea that an institution like Tribeca, let alone the Tribeca Festival, wanted to premiere our movie um, was just the highest compliment in the world. And I'll never be able to thank the programmers and the staff here enough for the kindness they have imbued uh, onto our team for that. So I, I couldn't be more thrilled. And now we'll take you to the red carpet of the world premiere of Chasing Chasing Amy, where I caught up with Sav Rogers and his wife, Riley. I'm here with Sav Rogers, the director of Chasing Chasing Amy. What does it feel like to actually be here, red carpet of Tribeca? This is surreal. Uh, not in a million years did I imagine all of this. Uh, I, would, I didn't know, I had no idea what to expect, so I'm just really stoked to be here to share the movie with people. For you, what are you expecting tonight? You're gonna, we talked about you seeing it with an audience for the first time. What, butterflies, nervous, how do you feel? I am an anxious wreck who's really excited for what's gonna come next, because once the first screening is is done, that'll be the scariest part. (laughs) Where can people find out about the film if they wanna find it online? If you wanna find more information on the movie online, you go to ChasingAmyDoc.com or follow us on social media at ChasingAmyDoc. Thank you so much. Riley, red carpet of Tribeca for the premiere. How does it feel? It feels uh, like, a, like a dream. Uh, I had never... It's a movie that's been four years in the making, if anything, and it started from like a, a dream, a project that my husband had, and he has just put everything he had into it, and with all of his persistence and everything, managed to bring it into like a, such a big thing so I it's still like crashing into me the fact that we're here was there ever a time that you didn't think maybe it was it was gonna get finished I I did think we were going to finish it I did think uh, in terms of like the 
the te technical parts of it, I thought it was going to be finished. I just really didn't know when uh, because it kept changing. So I didn't really know when exactly it was going to end. What is it like being pulled into this subject matter? Can you talk about your feelings through that process? I did not intend to be on camera. It was just something that happened because our love story ended up being like a very similar and uh, evolving very parallel to what happens in the movie Chasing Amy. So uh, it just like had to happen along with uh, with transition things and just both of our lives because we met our, uh, each other very young. So everything just like incredibly, it was very magical to be able to capture that on film. What do you hope the impact will be for audi the audience tonight? Well, very personally, I just hope that this movie can uh, let people know that there is just like no one definition of love that you make your own definition of what love is and it doesn't matter uh, if people want to define it one way or another like you love somebody in the way that you can and you want and you do what works for you and your partner and uh, nothing else matters And that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including our film festival coverage, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. I'd like to thank everyone who came out to chat with us. And of course, a big shout out and thanks to our sponsors, New York Women in Film and Television, Black Magic Design, JMR Rentals, and the Takawa Film Festival. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>